hear the word of the Lord. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. This week I um, read a story that was printed in the Atlantic Monthly uh, about the days of the great western cattle ranchers and one of the processes that they would sometimes use to, uh, to break in wild horses. And uh, here's what the article says. A little donkey sometimes would be harnessed to a wild steed, a wild horse. Bucking and raging, convulsing like drunken sailors, the two would be turned loose like Laurel and Hardy to proceed out onto the desert range. They could be seen disappearing over the horizon, the great steed dragging that little donkey along and throwing him about like a bag of cream puffs. They might be gone for days, but eventually they would come back. The little donkey would always be seen first, trotting back over the horizon, leading the submissive steed in tow. Somewhere out there on the rim of the world, that steed would become exhausted from trying to get rid of the donkey. And in that moment, the donkey would take mastery and become the leader. I found that to be an apt picture for how the kingdom of God sometimes works and how its people are called to live. The battle of faith, the, the walk of our lives is, is determined uh, not by how dramatic we are, but, but by how committed we are. It's, it's determined by the long obedience in the same direction. And though the kingdom and its people might not seem impressive, determination over the long haul, faithfulness over the long haul eventually will win out, just like the donkey over time was able, through determination, to wear out that horse. Keep that picture in mind, if you will. I, I think it's a good picture of what the letter of Hebrews is about. Hebrews is a New Testament book that was written almost 2,000 years ago now to encourage Christians like you and like me. It, it was written to encourage us to stay determined, to stay committed, because Jesus Christ is worth it, because Jesus Christ is with us. Hebrews is a letter written for us, if we're feeling beat up, it's written for you if you're feeling worn out, if you're feeling discouraged. Raise your hand if those words ever describe any of you. It fixes us on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and encourages us to keep going, to not keep going in fits and, and starts, but to consistently be faithful as we rely on Jesus and his word for us in the gospel. 
It's a very important book for us to study in the season of life in which we're in with so much chaos surrounding us culturally and and frankly with so much going on in so many of our individual lives that are discouraging. That's why I wanted us to spend the next number of months studying the book of Hebrews. It's written to encourage you. God speaks to you this morning through this ancient letter to tell you the truth. He loves you. He's for you. He's kind. Let me tell you a little bit about the background of this book. Hebrews is really a a mystery dressed up in an enigma, cloaked with all kinds of unknowns. No one knows who wrote Hebrews. That's a famous question among biblical scholarship. You can make some good guesses, but those are just that, guesses. No one really knows. And, And we also don't know for sure who the audience was. It's almost certain, I think, that Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians, so Jews who had been converted to Christianity, probably in the city of Rome in about 64 or 65 AD. So it was written to urban Christians surrounded by a hostile culture, much like our situation today in San Antonio in 2022. The occasion for the author writing this book is likely because the Christians that he wrote to were experiencing difficulty. They were experiencing persecution. And and we know that because the main theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is worth our lives. Jesus is worth our affection. Jesus is worth our discipleship. And so don't give up. Like that donkey who didn't give up and was able to tame the steed, Hebrews calls us not to give up. Don't stop believing, as Journey, those great theologians, put it in the late 70s. Hebrews is meant to be a letter of encouragement to us. If you look at the book, it doesn't even really look like a letter. I don't know if you noticed that as Jonathan read. It just jumps right into the plot. It's not like Paul's letters where he begins with a, a salutation or, or a greeting. Hebrews is unique in that instance. It's, it's more like a sermon, really, than any other part of the New Testament. It's a sermonic letter, unlike any other book in the Bible. And and chapter one, what was just read for us, opens unlike any other part of the Bible. He jumps right in to the main idea. Verses one through four, in essence, is a compacted summary of the entire letter. It's really elegant in its style, and it's really clear in its message. So let's look at it together. Here's the main idea for you this morning. Jesus is God's final and best word, and we must listen to him. Jesus is God's final and best word, and we must listen to him. That's our first point. And then I'm going to give you three points that the text gives for why you should believe that that's true. So first, let's look at that idea. Jesus is God's final and best word, and we must listen to him. If you look at verses 1 and 2, you'll see that the author begins by making a clear contrast. He, he cuts history in half. There were the former days in verse 1, and now there are the last days in verse 2. But, but before we look at that contrast, let's look at the similarity. What's amazing to see here at the very beginning of this great letter is that the one true God is a God who communicates. The one true God is a God who speaks to us. That is core Christianity. 
The reason that we know what God is like is not because we have discovered it. It is because God has revealed it. God has made himself known to us. Isn't that amazing? God has made himself known to us because he wants to have a relationship with us. He is not silent. He is not distant. As the Apostle Paul says in his sermon in Acts 17, God is not far from any of us. Isn't that great? We don't have to make guesswork of God. We don't have to make guesswork of God. The one true God speaks. He speaks to you today because he loves you. He cares about your life. He wants to know you and he wants for you to know him. God is a speaking God. So, given that God speaks, look at those verses with me and see the contrast. Verse 1 says that in the old days, in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, God spoke at many times and in many ways to our fathers by the prophets. That phrase there, in many ways, literally means piecemeal. Piecemeal. The word God gave in the Old Testament was fragmentary. It was incomplete. It was true, certainly, as far as it went. It just was not final. Think about that if you're familiar with the Old Testament. How does God speak through the Old Testament scriptures and in the Old Testament stories? He reveals himself through narrative, through hymns, through proverbs, through poetry, through love songs, through parables, through wisdom and apocalyptic literature. And God communicated with people for hundreds of years, speaking to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to Moses and Joshua, to Samuel and Saul and David and the kings of Judah and Israel and to the prophets and to the people who returned from exile. God spoke in the past in many ways and in many times to to many people, but... Here's the contrast. Now, verse 2, in these last days, God has spoken. In his son, Jesus Christ is God's final word. Jesus culminates and clarifies everything that God said in former days. Jesus is the unique and supreme revelation of God. That's the point. He's both the fulfillment of and the contrast to the old order of things. So in the former days, God spoke through many prophets, but he has only one son of God. And God gave words through the prophets, but Jesus is the word. God's final word is a person. Hebrews 1, in that sense, echoes John chapter 1, where John opens his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So verse 1 and verse 2 set up the theme for the entire book, that is the uniqueness and the supremacy of Jesus Christ to all else. Do you know what that means for you? It means that God has clearly spoken to you in and through Jesus Christ. God is not just doing a data dump when he speaks. When God speaks to you, he's not just intending to give you information so that you can take in like some sort of robot and compute a new life on the other side of it. 
No, God, when he speaks to you, is calling you to act. He's calling you to respond to his speaking. He's calling you to listen because he wants to have a relationship with you. And intimacy in relationship requires listening. So the author of Hebrews is saying that because Jesus is God's supreme, God's final, God's uniquely authoritative word, we must listen. We must listen to Jesus. That's the main thing I want you to take away this morning. You should listen to Jesus Christ as he speaks to you in and through his word. We as parents will often in conversations with our kids use language like, that's final. Often it comes on the end of a negative answer, right? Dad, mom, can I do this? Can I go here? Can I buy that? And we'll talk about it throughout the day. And eventually you say, no. Or maybe sometimes if you're a loving parent, yes. <laughs> that's final. When, when I was growing up and I heard the, that's final from my mom or from my dad. Ooh, especially if I heard it from my dad. Conversation is over, period. End of story. Jesus is the, that's final from God to us, but it's a good word. It's a good final word. Are you listening to Jesus? Are you submitted to his authoritative voice in your life? Are you under his kind, kingly rule? All of us are submitted to some sort of word. All of us are listening to some voice, only hearing and obeying the voice of Jesus, the voice of God in Jesus will give you life. Only hearing and obeying the voice of God in Jesus will give you peace. You may not be persuaded of that. You may say, yeah, I'm persuaded of that, but your life doesn't reflect that you're persuaded of that. And if you're not, I'm, I'm really glad you're here because the author goes on to give us multiple reasons in the remaining verses why we should listen to Jesus. Jesus is God's final word. You must listen to him. Here's some reasons why. First, the author tells us we should listen to Jesus because he's the perfect display of the real God. He's the perfect display of the real God. Look at verse 3. He is, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, there's a lot of profound theology in that one verse these two phrases, radiance of the glory of God, exact imprints of his nature, teach us that Jesus is the perfect display of what the real God is like. That first phrase, the radiance of the glory of God, means that, frankly, Jesus is God. That word radiance is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which we call the Septuagint, a number of times, and almost in every instance, it's used in the book of Exodus when the glory of God appears to the people of Israel as they're wandering through the wilderness. Just one example of that. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses, who's leading God's people, would enter into this tent of meeting, and he would go in by himself. And Exodus recounts for us what the people would see. Listen to Exodus 33. Here's what we read. The pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Isn't that interesting that a pillar of cloud would stand there? What or who is this pillar of cloud? It's the radiance of God's glory, ultimately magnified and shown and seen in Jesus. 
later in Exodus, when the tabernacle is completed and the glory of God descends, that's how the book of Exodus ends, the word there for radiance is used. The glory of God is made known. It comes down. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is God's radiant glory. So when you see Jesus... You know you're seeing God. When you read about what Jesus is like in the Gospels, you know you're reading about what the one true God is like. Jesus himself says that in the Gospel of John chapter 14. And imagine how crazy this would have been to the original audience. He says, if you've seen God, or excuse me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the second phrase teaches us even more. Jesus is God. But he's also distinct from God. He's the exact imprint of God the Father's nature. That word imprint literally means, it's the literal word, character. And and it refers to the legitimacy or the veracity of ancient Roman coins. These coins would have the imprint of Caesar on them. And the imprint gave veracity to the currency. It let the owner know that it was valid. In that sense, Jesus is the imprint of God's essence, of God's nature, of God's character. As the Nicene Creed puts it, he is very God of very God. Why should you listen to Jesus? God's final word. Because Jesus is God. He has God's power. You ever try to stare into the sun? I don't recommend that. That's my pastoral recommendation for you for the day. If you ever try it, it's not going to go well, right? It's going to burn your eyes out pretty quickly. That's how the Old Testament pictures looking at the glory of God. No man can look at God and live. Hebrews is saying that the incredible glory of God that no man can gaze at has been recognizable and made known and approachable to us in Jesus. I want to drive this home into uh, our hearts, into our deepest spiritual fiber today. Listen to me, friends. Listen, if you want to know if God cares about you, if you want to know what God's really like, if you want to know if he's good, if you want to know if he's loving, if you want to know if God is going to help you in the things you're dealing with, listen, look at Jesus. We don't have to do guesswork with God. He has spoken to us in Jesus. Listen, do you feel like an outcast? Isolated. Lonely. Misunderstood. Look at how Jesus treated the isolated, outcast, Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He spoke to her. He cared for her. He called her into a relationship with himself. This is who God is. Do you feel worn out, burdened by your own failures, unsure if you can be honest about who you really are with other people, about what you're really struggling with with other people because you fear their rejection and disapproval. You're plagued with shame. You have a lot of guilt. Look at how Jesus treats people who really, really messed up. When Peter cussed out a little girl, when the little girl said, you knew Jesus, as Jesus is being led to crucifixion, and when Peter walked away from that experience feeling unimaginable shame and disgrace, how did Jesus treat Peter? He restored him. 
Jesus looked Peter in the eye and, and he welcomed Peter. He commissioned him with a new vision for his life. Listen, friends, that's who God is. Do you struggle with mental illness, with, with physical disability? Have you been diagnosed with a, a disorder or a condition? Look at how Jesus cares for the sick and for the lame. One of many examples, Luke chapter 4, we read this. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. And he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. That's who God is. God's word, Jesus, proves to us that God is more loving than we ever thought. That he's more merciful than we ever dared hope. You should listen to Jesus. Second reason, you should listen to God's final word in Jesus. Hebrews tells us it's because he's the creator and the sustainer of everything. Verse 2 and verse 3. In verse 2, we read Jesus is the one, quote, through whom he, God, created the world. Mysteriously and almost unimaginably, God's agent in creation, the, the tool that he uses to make things is Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes something very similar in the book of Colossians. Here's what Paul says. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so Jesus has priority over the entire universe. The Hebrews author says he's the heir of all things because he's the maker of all things. His power is beyond comprehension. And so he deserves our attention. He deserves our reverence. He deserves our lives in worship. But Jesus didn't just create and then just sit back and, you know, chill and have a stiff drink and watch how things unfolded. No, he's still at this very moment, Hebrews tells us, dynamically and constantly active in the world. Look at verse 3. He upholds. Notice that's present tense right now. As I speak and as you listen, hopefully, as you don't listen, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. What? Jesus made the world and Jesus right now sustains the entire universe and sustains your individual life? Yeah. The sun is the nucleus of creation. He's the center of it all. In him, all of it holds together, just like a nucleus holds together a cell. So so every breath you draw, every beat of your heart, every circulation of your blood through your veins is sustained by Jesus Christ. Every wave on every shore, every drop of rain in every jungle, every piece of sand in every desert is there because of Jesus. Every work of photosynthesis and erosion and astrophysics happens because Jesus sustains it. Every discovery made in biology or chemistry or geology or physics is merely a discovery of more of Jesus' power. Every beast in the deeps of the sea that none of us have ever laid eyes on. Every star in the distant galaxies. Every worm and spider and lizard and even mosquito. 
squirms and crawls and swims and flies and buzzes because Jesus controls them and gives them their glorious creaturely freedom. Now, if that's true, and it is true, you can't be a moderate on Jesus. Jesus does not allow you to be anything other than, and these are kind of dangerous words in our times, but I'm going to use them anyway, an extremist, either for him or against him. Some of you have been around church and around the Bible and around Christianity for so long that you've lost sight of who Jesus is. You stopped listening to him. You think your relationship with Jesus can be just one part of your very full and busy life. That's not the way this works. Jesus demands finality. Jesus demands exclusivity. He demands total allegiance by virtue of who he is and by virtue of what he does. You can't be in the middle on Jesus Christ. You cannot say with any shred of intellectual or spiritual integrity that, yeah, Jesus is okay with me, but I'm going to move on with other priorities right now. Think about it this way. I was reading this week and it just floored me. If the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles, if the distance between the earth and the sun was the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance from earth to the nearest star other than the sun would be a stack of paper 70 feet high, seven stories. And the distance across our single galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And our galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe. And if the person Jesus holds all of this together by the word of his power, proverbially speaking, with his pinky finger, is that the kind of person you can ask just to be your personal assistant? Is that the kind of person that you can just kind of decide when you want to hang out with, when you really need something, when you really need a hole filled into your life that you haven't been able to get to yet? No! If Jesus sustains and upholds all things because he created all things, then he must stand in the center of your life if you're going to be honest. Where does Jesus stand in your life? He won't tolerate being on the periphery. It's not an option. We've got to listen to him. One other reason, and then we'll finish. One other reason to listen to God's final word in Jesus, according to Hebrews, is because he's finished his mission. Look at verse 3. That's what the author's getting at when he writes, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, Hebrews is deeply interested in Jesus as a priest and in this work of purification, and we're going to deep dive into that as we move along. But suffice it to say for now, that Jesus should be heard by us and loved and obeyed by us because he left his glory with the Father, was made a man, and lived a humble life of suffering and grief, and then died on a cross to atone for human sin, for our sin, for our rebellion. That was his mission. The one who made and sustained all things descended into our world to purify us. Listen to what the ancient father Melito of Sardis wrote. 
He who suspended the earth is suspended on a cross. He who fixed the heavens is fixed. He who fastened all things is fastened to the wood. The master is outraged. God is murdered. That was Jesus' mission, to purify us through his death. Of course, the fundamental presupposition behind the idea of purification is that we are impure. The fundamental presupposition behind the idea of Jesus dying to cleanse us is that we are unclean. Listen, have you ever tried, I mean like really tried, to purify yourself? Have you ever really tried to just like, you know, stop doing bad stuff and to only do good stuff? And we're not even talking about like actions. Have you tried to like stop thinking bad thoughts and just only think good thoughts? Have you ever tried that? Some of you have tried that. Some of you are still only trying that, which is your biggest problem. Um, Think about it this way. Imagine your house is just immaculate and beautiful with all white furniture and with white carpet. You're like, oh my gosh, Luke, I know. I'm not an interior designer. Just stick with me for the sake of the illustration, okay? White, that's the key. And after days of rain, the kids open the door and in runs a group of of stray dogs who've been playing in the mud for hours, chasing a cat through the house. And they run rampant in your house, all over the beds, all over the couches. There's stuff on the walls. And then all you have to clean, once you finally get the cat and all the dogs out of the house, is one of those little Dixie cups full of water and your toothbrush. Good luck. Good luck. That's a picture of the futility of self-purification projects, of self-justification projects, of getting ourselves right with God and piecing our fragile, sin-filled lives back together on our own. Listening to Jesus means the end of self-purification. Listening to Jesus means the end of self-justification. It means letting his finished mission purify you. It's the only thing that can do it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever stopped working to save yourself? Have you ever stopped trying to be good long enough to trust Jesus? Some of you haven't. Some of you right now are living a life of self-purification, self-justification, trying to piece your brokenness back together on your own. Jesus, if you're listening to him, is saying, stop. Stop. Rest. Trusting in his mission means you stop trying to purify yourself and let him purify you. Martin Luther puts this stuff better than just about anyone. Listen to how he writes about Hebrews 1.3. And we'll close with this. Um, Luther says, by these words, he makes short work of all notions of righteousness and every idea of penances which the natural man holds. It's the supreme mercy of God he commends. Therefore, we must despair of our own penances and our own purging of our sins because before we even begin to confess, our sins have already been forgiven. I would even go on to say that it is not until then that Christ's own purging becomes operative and produces true penitence in us. It is in this way that his righteousness works our righteousness. Jesus is God's final and best word. He is the perfect display of the real God.
He's the creator and sustainer of everything. And he's the one who has made purification for your sins and mine. And in his completed work has sat down at the right hand of God as our champion. Listen. Listen to Jesus. Let's pray.